Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 19th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fulce, an attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal, in a published decision, ruled that a physician who had been sued for fraud by Allstate Insurance Company was not protected by the anti-slap law. Dr. Sonny Rubin is a physician who controls medical companies, including Coastal Spine and Orthopedic Specialists, Incorporated. A portion of his practice involves lean patients involved in automobile accidents who are referred by attorneys. These lean patients have signed a medical lien authorizing their attorney to pay directly to Dr. Rubin such sums as may be due and owing and to withhold such sums from any settlement, judgment, or verdict as may be necessary to pay for the patient's treatment. After providing medical treatment, Dr. Rubin prepared medical narrative reports, operative reports, and billing statements to be used in support of claims made against Allstate Insurance Company. Back in 2019, Allstate filed a lawsuit on behalf of itself and the people of the state of California against Dr. Rubin. The complaint pleaded two causes of action, insurance fraud and unfair competition. Allstate generally alleged that Dr. Rubin violated the law by presenting fraudulent claims for the payment of a loss of injury under a contract of insurance, a violation of the California Insurance Code. Allstate specifically alleged that Rubin recommended unnecessary medical treatments, falsely represented and had treated injuries, engaged in deceptive billing practices, and prepared false invoices for insurance claims. In response to the lawsuit, Rubin filed an anti-slap motion and argued that his services falls within the definition of pre-litigation activities under the anti-SLAP statute. SLAP suits, or strategic lawsuits against public participation that's used to create that acronym, are meritless lawsuits designed to punish parties for constitutionally protected activities. A defendant can seek to strike a SLAP lawsuit by filing an anti-SLAP motion under the California Code of Civil Procedure. The trial court ruled against Dr. Rubin, saying he has failed to establish that Allstate's claims arise from a protected activity. So Dr. Rubin appealed, and the Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court in the published case of People and Allstate Insurance Company versus Sonny Rubin. The analysis of an anti-slap motion is twofold. Usually, the defendant must first show the lawsuit arises from its protected activities. If so, the plaintiff must show its lawsuit has merit. Litigation is not generally a protected activity under the anti-slap statute if the litigation is merely a possibility. Here, Dr. Rubin failed to show its medical reports and bills were prepared outside of its usual course of business, in anticipation of litigation that was under serious consideration. Attorney Matthew J. Smith, on behalf of the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud, requested that this opinion be certified for, public, for publication 
and the Court of Appeal granted his request. Pfizer Incorporated and two other companies, Meridian Medical Technologies, Inc., and King Pharmaceuticals Incorporated have agreed to pay $345 million to resolve long-running litigation over the EpiPen price gouging. In 2007, an EpiPen package cost about $100. Today, it costs more than $650 for the same EpiPen. EpiPens are auto-injectable devices that deliver the drug epinephrine, which is used to treat life-threatening allergic reactions known as anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is most commonly caused by food allergies, but can also be caused by insect bites, medications, and other substances. This litigation dates to 2016, when numerous class-action lawsuits were filed against Pfizer. Mylan, and other defendants, alleging they engaged in anti-competitive conduct in connection with their marketing of the EpiPen. The lawsuits were transferred to federal court in Kansas City, Kansas, because of its geographical centrality. Multiple law firms have been involved in the complex litigation, which featured the production of over 11 million pages of documents, and 158 depositions. A Pfizer spokesperson said in an email that the company denies any wrongdoing and continues to believe actions were appropriate despite their settlement. The spokesperson added that this resolution reflects a desire by the company to avoid the distraction of continued litigation and focus on breakthroughs that change patients' lives. The lawyer representing the plaintiff said that his clients were pleased that Pfizer had agreed to the settlement, even though it still requires court approval. He also said the plaintiffs look forward to trying the remaining claims against Mylan before a jury. Mylan owns the rights to the EpiPen brand, but the devices are manufactured by Pfizer. And now our crime report. A California-licensed homeopathic doctor was arrested for her alleged scheme to sell homeophylaxis immunization pellets and falsifying COVID-19 vaccination cards by making it appear that customers received the FDA-authorized Moderna vaccine. 41-year-old Julia A. Mazi, N.D., that's not M.D., N.D., who lives in Napa, is charged with one count of wire fraud and one count of false statements related to health care matters. This case is the first federal criminal fraud prosecution related to homeoprophylaxis immunizations and fraudulent CDC COVID-19 vaccination record cards. Last April, an individual submitted a complaint to the Department of Health and Human Services offices of Inspector General Hotline. The complainant stated that family members purchased pellets from Dr. Masi and were told the pellets contained the COVID-19 virus and they would create an antibody response in the immune system. The family members did not receive injections of any of the three FDA-authorized COVID-19 vaccines. 
However, Dr. Mazi sent COVID-19 vaccination record cards with Moderna listed to the family and allegedly instructed the family members to mark the cards to falsely state that they received the Moderna vaccine. Homeoprophylaxis involves the exposure of an individual to dilute amounts of a disease purportedly to stimulate the immune system and confer immunity. Dr. Amazi has allegedly had falsely claimed that orally ingesting pellets with small amounts of COVID-19 would result in full, lifelong immunity from COVID-19. Prosecutors also claim that Mazi offered homeoprophylaxis immunizations for childhood illnesses that she falsely claimed would satisfy the immunization requirements for California schools and falsified immunization cards that were submitted by parents to the same California schools. If convicted, she faces a maximum statutory prison sentence of 20 years for the wire fraud charge and five years for the false statements charge. Dr. Julie Mazzi is a member of the California Naturopathic Doctors Association and the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians and is licensed in California to practice within that specialty. 51-year-old Jacent Verts, who lives in Fresno, and 44-year-old Alana Powers, an inmate at the California, Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, were each sentenced to five years and one month in prison for conspiracy to commit mail fraud and aggravated identity theft. Verts and Powers submitted several fraudulent unemployment insurance claims in Powers and other inmates' names to the California Employment Development Department. The benefits were loaded onto debit cards by the EDD that were mailed to the addresses the defendants provided. The underlying applications for the claims stated that the inmates had worked within the prescribed period as maids, cleaners, fabrication welders, and other occupations, and that they were available to work which was not true because they were incarcerated at the time. The claims would have been denied if accurate answers had been given. EDD in the United States have suffered an actual loss of over $74,000 as a result of this fraud. An Orange County man has been indicted and charged with defrauding victims who paid for COVID-related medical protection equipment that was never delivered. This caused nearly $3 million in losses. 60-year-old Christopher John Badsley, who lives in Lake Forward, was arrested by FBI agents on July 8 without incident. He is charged with four counts of wire fraud and two counts of money laundering. According to an indictment returned by a federal grand jury, Mr. Badsley falsely represented that he had access to millions of boxes of medical-grade nitrile gloves through his Irvine-based company, First Defense International Security Services Corporation. This type of personal protective equipment was in high demand and short supply during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Badsley allegedly entered into contractual agreements with his victims, and he required them to provide a money deposit to inspect the gloves before delivery. After receiving the deposits, Badsley allegedly instructed the victims to travel to the Los Angeles area where he claimed the gloves were stored in a warehouse. But when the victims attempted to visit the warehouse, Badsley and other of his employees allegedly provided excuses as to why the gloves could not either be inspected nor delivered to the victims. Nitrile gloves were never provided to the victims, and Batsley is alleged to have absconded with nearly $3 million in their deposit money. If convicted of all charges in the six-count indictment, Batsley would face a statutory maximum sentence of 100 years in federal prison. The owner of a trucking company in the Inland Empire and elsewhere in California, who was out on bond awaiting trial in a separate federal criminal case, was now again arrested on a criminal complaint, alleging he fraudulently obtained more than $667,000 in federal Paycheck Protection Program COVID-19 pandemic relief funds. 62-year-old Carl Bradley Johansson, who lives in Newport Beach, was arrested and is charged with one count of bank fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit bank fraud. Prosecutors say his Ontario-based trucking company, Western Distribution LLC, applied for a PPP loan for more than $436,000. His son was listed as the company's owner on the loan application, and the loan application was approved. The company immediately spent its PPP funds in large part on expenses unrelated to its payroll. Rather than use the funds to keep the company's employees on staff, Johansson laid off most of the company's workers, but then rehired many of them in late 2020. As a result of this ruse, the company could falsely claim that it had met the requisite threshold of spending at least 60% of its PPP loan on payroll. Then in March 2021, Johansson allegedly caused his company to repeat the same fraudulent representations concerning its employee lists and payroll numbers when the company submitted a second PPP loan application this time for a little more than $231,000. The second loan application was also approved. Thus, the total loss alleged alleged in this case is about $670,000. If convicted of both the PPP charges, Johansson would face a statutory maximum sentence of 70 years in federal prison. And if that is not enough, Johansson was on pre-trial release on a separate case that remains scheduled to go to trial this September. In that older case, Johansson is alleged to have schemed to defeat federal transportation laws by ordering the illegal repair of an oil tanker that resulted in a fatal explosion in 2014 and to have unlawfully avoided the payment of at least $298,000 in federal income taxes.
And in regulatory news, the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health reports that the community transmission of COVID-19 has rapidly increased from moderate to substantial. Los Angeles County has more than seven times an increase in new cases since the June 15 economy reopening. As a result, masking will be required for everyone while indoors, regardless of their vaccination status. The more rigid indoor masking requirements for everyone will be effective starting Saturday, July 17 at midnight. Some exceptions will apply, similar to masking requirements that were in place prior to the June 15 reopening. Tracking the proliferation of the Delta variant is a priority because the Delta variant is more easily spread between people more than other variants of concern. And while emerging data affirms that fully vaccinated people are well protected from severe infections with Delta variants, people with only one dose are not as well protected. And there is evidence that a very small number of fully vaccinated individuals can become infected and may be able to infect others. To date, public health identified more than one and a quarter million positive cases of COVID-19 across all areas of Los Angeles County and a total of nearly 25,000 deaths. The Medical Indicators and Trends Dashboard 4th Quarter 2020 Edition is part of the National Council on Compensation Insurance, that's NCCI's, their ongoing strategy to deliver more medical data insight. It provides an interactive way to visualize state-specific information and allows readers to download various summary tables. More detailed state-specific medical data reports can be found in the State Insight, which is available to affiliates and regulators. And NCCI just announced the second edition of its dashboard. It now includes summarized statistics for hospitals, outpatient services, and ambulatory surgical centers, in addition to the key metrics it has been following to better understand the direct and indirect impacts of COVID-19 on medical costs. These include impacts to physician services, time to treatment, telemedicine, prescription drugs, and specific COVID-19 treated claim characteristics. The data source used in this dashboard is NCCI's medical data call, data from most of the workers' compensation premium written under its jurisdiction, which includes experience for large deductible policies. Lump sum settlements are not required to be reported, and self-insured data is generally not included. While it's too early to further assess the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic will have on the workers' compensation system, This dashboard allows users to analyze state-specific medical treatment results during the spread of the pandemic. The dashboard may be found on the NCCI website. Now for our next story, we have one of the Floyd Scarin hearing representatives, John Castro, looking into the story. John, what do you have to report? 
Thank you, Renee. Researchers reported in the New England Journal of Medicine that a man who is unable to move or speak can now generate words and sentences on a computer using only his thoughts. The ability comes from an experimental implanted device that decodes signals in the man's brain that once controlled his vocal track. The man is currently limited to a vocabulary of just 50 words and communicates at a rate of about 15 words per minute, which is much slower than natural speech. But Dr. Edward Chang, a neurosurgeon at the University of California, San Francisco, says it's possible to make this better over time. Currently, people with paralysis who have lost the ability to speak usually rely on devices that use eye or head movements to spell out words one letter at a time. Some use a device that allows them to control a computer cursor with thoughts. A device that allowed people who can't speak to communicate using brain circuits previously used for speech would be more natural and hopefully effortless compared to current assisted devices. Dr. Chang's team wanted to find a better solution for the man identified only as Bravo One to protect his privacy. The name refers to his status as the first patient in a study called Bravo or Brain Computer Interface Restoration of Arm and Voice. Now Bravo One, who is in his late 30s, has been paralyzed and unable to speak since he had a stroke 15 years ago, Chang says. The stroke left him nearly completely paralyzed in his arms and legs, but also in the muscles of his vocal tract. It was not known if the speech commands in the brain would still work after 15 years. And even if we could revive those dormant brain signals, could they be revived for speech? And if they could, translate those signals into full words? To find out, the team implanted sensors on the surface of the man's brain. Then it had a computer study the patterns of electrical activity produced when he attempted to speak 50 different words and the process took months. Once Bravo One could reliably generate words on a computer screen, the team began having him form sentences. To help improve accuracy, the team added a program that analyzed the context of each word as it was added. The system is a bit like the texting software on most smartphones. So for example, if one word is just not decoded correctly, this autocorrect function can easily correct it. After months of adjustments to the system, the man was able to generate a word reliably every four seconds or roughly 15 words per minute. A device able to decode words in the brain could eventually help thousands of people who've had a stroke or a traumatic brain injury. Some experts say the ability to recognize even 50 words in the brain is a huge achievement, but just the tip of the iceberg. That could easily become 500 or 5,000 words. Back to you, Renee. Thank you very much for that report, John. The U.S. government does not track death rates for every drug. However, the National Center for Health Statistics, or NCHS, at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, collects information on deaths involving many of the more commonly used drugs at a searchable database called CDC Wonder. The NCHS also has 12-month ending provisional data available by state and drug category. Then, NCHS recently reported that 
And the drug overdose deaths rose by close to 30% in the United States in 2020, hitting the highest number ever recorded. According to its provisional data released by the CDC's National Center for Health Statistics, more than 93,000 people died from drug overdoses just in 2020. That's nearly a 30% increase from the more than 72,000 deaths projected for 2019. In California, more than 9,500 people died from drug overdoses in 2020, up from 6,500 projected in 2019, a nearly 46% increase. The overdose deaths from opioids rose from nearly 51,000 in 2019 to just under 70,000 in 2020. Overdose deaths from synthetic opioids, primarily fentanyl and psychostimulants such as methamphetamine, also increased in 2020 compared to 2019. Cocaine deaths also increased in 2020, as did deaths from natural and semi-synthetic opioids, such as prescription pain medication. This is the highest number of overdose deaths ever recorded in a 12-month period, and the largest increase since at least 1999. The director of the Institute on Drug Abuse, part of the National Institutes of Health, said the COVID-19 pandemic created a devastating collision of health crisis in America. President Biden just nominated Dr. Raul Gupta of West Virginia to serve as the administration's top drug policy official. The former state health commissioner is slated to become the first physician to ever lead the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy if he is confirmed by the Senate. Some say this nomination is a signal that government is looking to integrate medical solutions to reduce the nation's drug problem under Dr. Gupta's leadership. So that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcasts and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd Scarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.